Head over to loveandabuse.com if you want to learn how to deal with the difficult relationship. That's my other podcast, and I've been doing it since 2019, and I think you'll find it valuable if you're dealing with somebody you just don't know how to communicate with. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you learn to deal with difficult people and tackle life's challenges without compromising who you are. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. Somebody wrote to me and said, I'm writing this after listening to a recent episode. I have half-siblings. My parents never evoked the half-sibling subject. Me and my younger siblings figured it out before they told us in my teenage years. We're adults now, and I've always felt that my older sister unnecessarily was unpleasant with me growing up, but I always brushed it off. She's uh, several years older than me, but has always behaved childishly and passive-aggressive. And anytime I complain, they always defend her, her parents, I think. And they say she has a psychological problem from the loss of her mother. The older I get, the more uncomfortable I feel with my parents acting like we're supposed to brush the fact that we're half-siblings off, while there always seems to be a one-sided passive animosity. It has always felt this way, but I am over her humiliating me as a joke repeatedly for years, even after emphatically telling her to stop. How do I deal with the anxiety of anticipating future problems in my family from this silent toxicity? That is a um, tough question. <laughs> the, the question is a little bit confusing to me because I'm not sure what the silent toxicity is. Is it that your sister is humiliating you or is it that your parents aren't talking about the fact that you have half-siblings and that should be a factor in what's going on? I'm not sure. I mean, this is one of those questions that I might need more information on. I'm going to assume, however, that since you said your parents are brushing it off and they're not dealing with the idea that you're half-siblings, so there always seems to be a one-sided passive animosity. So there's something I'm missing. There's a missing piece here, and I apologize if it's in there, but I, I, I didn't see it. Because here's my take. I have um, one, two, two half-siblings myself, and I love them dearly. And um, I never really considered them half-siblings. I never think about them that way. I have a brother and a sister. They are my brother and sister. If they came from another father, which they did, doesn't really bother me. I grew up with them. That's who they are. And then I have a few other, a few, uh, couple, a couple other. Oh, no, I have another third. <laughs> I have a third half-brother, too, from another um, mom. So... I have a very mixed family. And then I have two full-blooded siblings. And so I can definitely relate to a mixed family in that respect, as far as siblings, half-siblings, step-siblings. And um, to me, there's no difference. They're all just my family. And I'm not trying to say that to minimize what you're going through or invalidate it at all. I'm just trying to relate. And in order for me to relate... I have to put myself in your shoes. Well, I don't have to, but I'm going to put myself in your shoes and think about, okay, if I were you and my parents uh, just brushed off the fact that they were half-siblings, if I was uh, having an issue with them, 
to me, I guess what you're saying is that they should side with you or maybe they should agree that that half sibling is a problem with you. And it it sounds like they already sort of agree with that anyway, because they said that she has psychological issues because her mom died. And I can understand that that would create some issues if you haven't processed that and healed from it. And, um, so I'm putting myself in your shoes thinking, okay, what is the actual issue here? Because that's where I go. I want to really narrow this down to the issue. The one thing that really stood out that what you said, and you said quite a few things here, but the one thing that really stood out was you said that we're both adults. And that to me changes the game. If you are both adults or all the siblings are adults now, then you have your own relationships to work through and deal with that don't really involve your parents. That's the first step I would take here is to remember that, okay, if we're all adults here, then our parents really aren't involved anymore because adults have adult relationships, even with people who are childish. We can choose to have adult relationships with other adults. And I know the argument is, yes, but they're family. (laughs) I have to deal with this person. They are family. I see them. I hear from them. I see them when I go visit my parents. Okay, so you have somebody in your family that is bothersome and maybe toxic. I have relatives that are toxic as well, and I choose not to see them or communicate with them because they're toxic. But that's a choice I make as an adult. And again, I'm not trying to invalidate or minimize what you're saying. I don't know the full circumstances. Maybe you all live together. I don't know. In most cases, when you're an adult and you don't live with the toxic family, you can make adult choices not to see these people, not to talk to them. Or you can do what you're doing and stand up for yourself like you're doing. You said, you know, I've told her not to do this, but she still does it. She still humiliates me. She treats me as a joke. And it's been happening for years. So your approach to her is emphatically telling her to stop. That doesn't work. You know this. (laughs) I know this. It doesn't work. So you can't do something over and over again that doesn't work and expect it to work. We've all heard that definition. You repeat the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It's, uh, It's a definition of insanity. So let's not expect a different result. Stop doing that. Stop emphatically telling her to stop because that doesn't work. And in fact, it probably fuels the flame. So how do you get her to stop is the question. I know I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but what I wanted to get out of the way first is sort of asking you through the podcast, uh, what the real issue is, because what it sounds like you're saying is that the real issue is your parents. It sounds like you're saying, My parents won't uh, say anything or won't side with me, won't um, recognize that my sibling or half-sibling is humiliating me. When I read that, I think, okay, if you were a child, it would be a different story. But now you're an adult. And I'm only saying that because you said that in your message. So now as an adult, we have to remove the parents from the picture. They could be involved. I know there there could be circumstances I don't know about. But when we get into this stage of life where we are adults, now we have to make decisions for ourselves and we have to choose who we want 
in our life. And we also have to choose um, how we communicate with them, if we communicate with them, if we want them in our lives anymore. And you may not. Or you may tell me, but I just want a relationship with her. That could be the case too. Again, there are gaps or missing components of this message that might be helpful for me to move forward. But it does sound to me that you're more concerned about your parents not saying anything or seeing your side of it. And my take on that is we have to get the parents out of the picture because they're adults too. So now we're all these adults in this room and as an adult, we can make our own choices and we don't need anyone else to help us make those choices. I mean, in most cases, we don't need somebody else to ask them how we should handle somebody else or ask them, why don't you agree with me? Why can't you see what I see? And from your message, it, it sounds like they do see something. They see that she is psychologically uh, challenged in some way. There's something going on there. But it sounds like they've accepted that's who she is. So they aren't fighting it. They aren't resisting it. Now, what you might tell me, maybe you'll follow up in an email. <laughs> you'll tell me that they just don't see her the way you see her. And that is bothersome to you. Why can't you see that she's humiliating me? Why can't you see that she's trying to bully me or whatever? Why can't you see that? It's so clear. It's happening right in front of you. This is a perception that some people might not get. I see this in abusive relationships all the time. I see the abuser abusing a single victim in the relationship and people outside the relationship don't see what's happening. They can't see it. They don't even uh, comprehend that what the abuse victim is saying could be truthful because they don't see the abuser that way. The abuser to the outside world is kind and caring and generous. They don't see the same person. And even when there's an abuse incident in front of these people, these people, maybe friends or family, can say, well, uh, I might even act that way. I might even say what they said. So I don't see that as abuse. I see that as, you know, a, a relationship difficulty, they might say. That is so common in emotionally abusive relationships. You have the emotionally abusive person who is a different person, a different entity inside the relationship. But outside the relationship, even when you're together, even when the same behaviors are taking place in front of other people, those other people don't recognize it as abuse. The main reason for that is because a one-off incident doesn't appear to be abusive. It only appears to be something that maybe any one of us could experience or do ourselves. A one-off incident seems like um, nothing to a lot of people. It just seems like, oh yeah, that's what my husband does. That's what my partner does. But in emotionally abusive relationships, what it is is a drip feeding, a compound effect of daily incidents that continues to wear down and disintegrate the love and connection and make the other person feel awful and that just that toxic soup, it just keeps swirling between the people and the victim of that behavior starts to wear down so that they don't feel good about themselves anymore and they don't feel like they can do anything right and maybe they are being insulted, maybe they are being intimidated, maybe 
they are being isolated from the world. I mean, there's so many things that happen in emotionally abusive relationships that uh, if it happens on a daily basis, it's going to wear somebody down to the point where they're going, going to feel so disconnected from other people because those other people can't tell what's happening in the relationship. In fact, they'll look at a relationship like that and say, I don't see the problem. And so that's why when it comes to emotionally abusive relationships, uh, a lot of people can't identify it and the victims of that abusive behavior have a hard time explaining it. That's why I do my podcast, Love and Abuse, over at loveandabuse.com. But the point here I'm making is that if this person's half-sibling is being emotionally abusive or just being toxic in other ways, it's possible that nobody else can see it because this person who wrote, she's experiencing it a lot. I don't know if it's daily, but it just sounds like it's frequently, at least every time they see each other. And so it's very hard for her to explain to others, even close people like her parents, that this is what's happening. Can't you see what's happening? Can't you see what's going on? Can't you see what she's doing to me? Because they don't see it and they don't have the same experience. So another thing is that abusive people don't give everyone the same experience. I've seen this a lot too. You can have a whole family and one person is toxic and that one person is only toxic to one other person, but the other people don't see it. Why is that? Because sometimes they target. Sometimes it's a narcissistic tendency where they are looking for a specific person to feed them, to supply them with what they need to control. A lot of toxic people, I mean, most toxic people want to control someone. They want to control others so that they don't have to deal with their own problems. So a toxic person can come along and, of course, they have issues they have to deal with, but they don't want to deal with them, so they would rather change others around them. And a good example of that is when somebody's jealous. For example, I used to be jealous in my 20s, a long time ago, thank God. <laughs> that really uh, just plagued me all the time. I was jealous. But when I was jealous... I didn't want to deal with my jealousy. I just wanted to control the person that uh, was in my life so that they wouldn't see other people that I was uh, certainly threatened by. I didn't want my partner to see anyone that I felt threatened by. So I would do things in a manipulative, uh, coercive way to make sure that they spent the least amount of time together. So this is a, a really good example of somebody who wants to control another person, instead of dealing with their own stuff, they are toxic and try to control or change someone else. So I didn't want to deal with my jealousy because I didn't think it was wrong. I didn't think it was wrong to be jealous. I was just insecure and I felt threatened by all these people. And of course, my partner can't have any male friends. That's not a healthy way to live. And that's where I was. And I didn't have any reason to be jealous. There were actually no signs that any of these men in her life were a threat. I just made these images in my mind and I had these thoughts that they could be. So why don't I eliminate those threats by controlling her? That doesn't work out in a relationship. If you're like that or if you're with somebody like that, that doesn't last long. It will wear down the relationship. It'll disintegrate it and it won't last. A person jealous in a relationship, it can't last. Now, there could be a real threat. I'm not even going to visit that. I do have episodes on jealousy, but 
if there's a real threat, then you should investigate it. But that's not what I'm talking about today. If there's a real threat in a relationship, you know, you got to find out about it. You got to ask about it. You got to talk about it. But when there's not, and you're just coming up with these jealous thoughts and jealous visions, then you will very possibly create a toxic environment and a relationship cannot survive that typically. You can talk about it. You can talk about things like that and you should, but um, if it continues, if it doesn't end, then a relationship has a very difficult time of surviving that. So coming back to um, what this person wrote, she's probably in an abusive relationship with her half-sibling. And because of that, she's experiencing a very unique set of circumstances, a very unique set of components that make up their relationship that other people are not experiencing. Because if other people were experiencing the same thing, then they might be able to say, I totally relate. Yeah, she's that way. I get it. But it doesn't sound like they are. Or those people have come to, and this is where I'm going with you, those people have come to accept that this person will never change. Acceptance will set you free most of the time. When you say, this person won't change. This is who she is. This is who she is. And her parents, your parents, may have come to accept that that's who she is and there's nothing we can do about it. She's got psychological problems and we've tried or not, but there's nothing we can do about it. So that's just who she is. And we're going to go on with our lives. And um, it won't bother us, even though we wish things were better, but it's not going to bother us because we're not trying to change her. We're not trying to resist who she is. We just know that she has some issues and she's either going to work them out or not. I know I'm putting words in your parents' mouth here, but I'm just trying to convey that sometimes when we accept that this is who they are, that can help us stop anticipating or hoping that they'll be anything than who they are. That's who they are. I accept that. I expect nothing less. Now, it doesn't change the fact that she's putting you down or humiliating you. And this is where I come back to what I said earlier is the way you're responding or reacting now isn't working. And in fact, may actually be exacerbating the situation. It may be adding fuel to the fire. And what I mean by that is that some people thrive on your resistance. Some people thrive on your upset, on your anger. They want to see it. It almost gives them a power trip. Yes, I made them angry again. That makes me feel superior. Why would somebody do that? I can give you one reason right now. Because they feel inferior. Some people who do that, they want to make you feel inferior. They want to make you feel powerless. It's because they feel powerless. It's because they feel insecure. And they've learned that making you feel insecure about yourself makes them feel more secure inside or more powerful. That kind of makes up for their insecurity, but not really, because it doesn't go away. That could be one of the things happening. So if that's happening, what do you do about that? How do you respond? What is a good way or a productive way to get through to somebody like that? Let me share with you a few ways that I would respond. I 
I never really understood the big deal about what kind of bed sheet to choose until Asha and I discovered the true comfort of Cozy Earth's bedding. It's like we each have our own personal climate control in the same bed, thanks to their temperature regulating properties. Their sheets are so soft. I find myself unconsciously commandeering them throughout the night. Hey, it's not my fault. Cozy Earth's bedding is just that comfortable. I mean, picture this. You're slipping into a bed that feels like a five-star hotel every single night. That's the luxury of Cozy Earth's premium bedding collection. It's not just about the incredible softness of their viscose from bamboo sheets. It's about transforming your sleep experience into something extraordinary. It's an impressive warranty and it's an experience that lasts. Along with their amazing sheets, you can drift off in their ultra soft pajamas too. Give it as a gift, whether to a loved one or yourself. Cozy Earth is giving listeners of the overwhelmed brain an exclusive 35% off site-wide. Just use the code BRAIN at checkout. Indulge in the softness, revel in the comfort, and sleep peacefully. You gotta check out Cozy Earth. Remember, up to 35% off when you use the code BRAIN at CozyEarth.com. Upgrade your sleep today. So how do you respond to somebody like this that is um, humiliating you or putting you down or insulting you when everything you've tried to make them stop doesn't work? This is my approach. I'm not saying it works for every person in every scenario. Some people just want to keep you under their thumb. They want to keep you under their foot. (laughs) They want to keep you down. They want to take your power away and keep that power away from you. So they find ways to do it. This person who wrote her sibling or half sibling has found ways to keep her down, to take her power away. And so I like to try different things to keep my power. One of them is acceptance. When you accept somebody, I mean, we already talked about this, but when you accept somebody, you expect nothing more from them. You don't anticipate anything. You just know it's going to happen. So Once you accept someone, then you're not looking, hoping, wishing, praying for them to be any different than they are. You just know that's who they are. So that can be helpful. That takes away hope. That takes away the idea that maybe they'll be different this time because eh, they probably won't. So that's one approach, or at least that's how I start the philosophy, the foundation of my philosophy of certain people. I know that person will not ever be anyone else than who they are. Great. I've checked that box. The next box I have to check is how I've responded or reacted in the past is not working. It does not work. It will not work. Therefore, I'm not going to bother responding the same way, even though I'll probably feel emotionally triggered. That toxic person will probably upset me in some way. But I'm going to do my best to not react the same way I always do. Now, I could be angrier. I could yell. I could say, get out of my face. Shut the hell up. If you ever say that to me again, you'll be sorry. Most people don't want to do that. Well, (laughs) let me rephrase that. A lot of people want to do exactly that, but they probably don't want to create that kind of conflict because where does that go? I mean, you have to be prepared for that kind of conflict. If you say, get out of my face, and if you ever get near me again, I'm going to 
whatever, <laughs> whatever you say, then you have to follow through because if you don't follow through, the person won't believe you next time you say it. So if there are any type of, I don't want to call them threats, but uh, assertion, if you do any type of assertion where you say, you better stop or else, you better have some sort of uh, consequence for them. I'm not condoning this. I'm not saying what consequence that is. But sometimes some people need to hear that. That's enough. I've had enough. Stop. And if they keep talking, you say, shut up. Stop. Stop. <laughs> stop. And you just keep saying it until they stop. Again, I'm not condoning that. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily the advice I'm giving to the person who wrote. But there are people that need to be asserted to. They need to hear your uh, boundaries. They need to know that you've had enough, that you've reached your limit. And sometimes they won't stop until they hear that. So there's that. That's kind of on the other side of what I might suggest for this person. Where I'm going with this person is you could do something that I tell victims of emotional abuse to do, which is gray rock. It's called the gray rock technique. And you just act like a dull gray rock. The person who wants to trigger you is uh, using your emotions. They know how to press your buttons. They know that you will have an emotional response to their behavior. So if you show up as a dull gray rock that doesn't have an emotional response, they will do their best to try to find the next button. They will try harder. They will try different things. And so what you end up doing is making their behavior futile. You make it completely pointless because they're looking for an emotional response. And if you don't give them one, what do they do with it? They, they have nothing to work with. So the non-emotional response might look like the person tries to humiliate you and you just go, hmm. You just, <laughs> you just sit there with a blank face. Hmm. Or even... Okay. <laughs> That's just it. You just say, okay. Well, you're a, a stupid head. Okay. Well, you never had a, a good relationship. Okay. What are they going to do? They're looking for the emotional response. That's how they feed off of you. You know, some people, they feed off of that emotional response. If you don't give them an emotional response because you're just a dull gray rock, just lying around. <laughs> Not like that, but if you don't have the emotional response that they feed off of, they have nothing to feed off of. So if you say, okay, or just go, hmm, then there's really nothing they can do with that. Now, what they will try to do, like I said, is try harder. And these people are very, very good at finding your buttons. They're going to dig deep to find those buttons. And I want you to be prepared. This is what um, an attorney will do with their client. They say, we're going to prepare you. The prosecutor or the defense attorney is going to ask these questions. So sit here and I'm going to ask you the same questions and I'm going to challenge you with these things. So you're prepared because you need to know how to respond. And we don't want you to be surprised by their challenges, by their questions. So when they ask about, well, what about the time you hurt that person when you were six. What about that? 
you don't want to be so surprised where you get on the defensive and say, well, I was only six and that was a, a different incident. It has nothing to do with it. You don't want to go in that direction. You want to be prepared. So the way to do that is to think about everything that that person can get you on, can tick you off about. Because I guarantee you, or at least I believe, what you're dealing with, the person who wrote, what she's dealing with is uh, multifaceted, has many incidents, many incidents in the past that the other person can point out. Whether it's their fault, her fault, doesn't matter. But that other person is going to point it out and put the person who wrote on the defense. She wants to put you on the defense. She wants you to sit there explaining yourself, defending yourself, because then you will be in a place of no power. She will have taken your power away as soon as you start explaining and defending yourself. By the way, I have an episode on always explaining yourself or defending yourself over at loveandabuse.com. Just type in the word defending in the search field and you'll find it. You know, go to the podcast page and you'll find it. But that's a, a good one to listen to because we're on the same subject. So that's my one of my first approaches is be that dull gray rock and know that they're going to try to trigger you and prepare yourself by thinking about all the incidents that have happened that they can trigger you on and challenge yourself. Okay, if she brings this up, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? How am I going to feel about it? Uh, or, or if you're doing the gray rock, if she brings this up, I need to be prepared for that. And my preparation might just be to say, okay, or, okay, I understand that you feel that way. Or I get it. I get it. You know, whatever you just, you're not necessarily agreeing. You're just not giving her what she's looking for. So that's uh, one approach. Another approach, it's probably something a lot of people won't like to do. It's something I actually love to do. <laughs> I love doing this because it really puts somebody in a place of, I don't want to say no power. I just want to say that it doesn't take my power away. In fact, I get to keep it. And that is, in fact, all of these, you get to keep your power. But this one, it gets to my um, rebellious side. <laughs> I don't know if that's the way to put it, rebellious. But uh, I love this technique because what it does is takes away the points they're using to put you down or put you in a, a terrible place. It takes away their ammo. And if they have no emotional ammo, then they can't fire at you. They can't put you down. They can't insult you. They can't belittle you because they've spent every round trying to put you down, but they can't. Some people fire these emotional bullets at you and they're trying to make you feel bad and they're trying to put you down. So one way to approach somebody, and this is something that I like to do, <laughs> it is funny to me, it's funny, it is uh, to own what they're saying by saying, uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. So when a person says, well, you're just a piece of crap. Yeah, that's true. You're right. What does that do when I say that? It immediately takes the energy out of what they're saying. And I know people are going to say, I don't want to be called a piece of crap. That's not who I am. I don't want to be called that. And I won't stand for it. Well, if you're that type of person, honor yourself, express your boundaries, and see how that goes. 
it could go great. If you can honor yourself and show them consequences for honoring, honoring yourself, then you're in a good place. But if you've tried all this stuff and you really have to deal with this person, this is just another way, a little unorthodox, but another way is just to own it. Yeah, that's, that's true about me. You're, everything you're saying is true. What else you got? There's another way to take away their energy. You're actually welcoming their negative, uh, aggressive energy coming at you and you're not allowing it to hit a brick wall. You're like a sponge. You're kind of letting it go through you like water hitting a sponge. It absorbs it, but then it you can squeeze it out and it just soaks right through. And this isn't going to work for everyone that might be really insecure. I'm not saying that this is necessarily good, <laughs> not good advice. I'm just saying that it is another way to approach somebody who will not back off. You're a big jerk. You're right. I totally am. Ah, you admit it. It's true. I'm a jerk. So you admit that time when you did this, that you were being a jerk and you were doing it intentionally. Well, no, but regardless, you know, everything you're saying is true. So what else you got? Now you can play with these. <laughs> you can play with that technique. You don't have to say, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm a big jerk or yeah, you're absolutely right. I cheated on so-and-so. I mean, I'm not talking about like um, disputing facts or not disputing them. I'm talking about when somebody really insults you or belittles you or bullies you, you got to take away the energy behind their bullying. And the energy is all about making you feel bad. So if you feel bad, they win. Not necessarily, but you know what I mean? If you feel bad, that was their goal. Their goal was to make you feel bad. So what do you do? All these things I'm talking about could be something that you do. But I do like the approach, this last one I, I just talked about. I like the approach of saying, yeah, you're right. Or I have an alternative to that. You're probably right. You're probably right is a, another way to kind of squash the energy. When they say, you did that intentionally, you are so hurtful and you hate my kids. Well, you know, you don't want to say you're right. I hate your kids because that's a fact you can dispute. No, that's not true. I love your kids. But uh, if you think I'm a jerk, that's fine. Another one, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Or you're probably right. Well, so you admit it. Well, maybe you're right. I don't know. Maybe you're right. That's another approach I do is maybe you're right. You're probably right. And I got to reflect on that. This is hard because if you know it's not true, you don't want to say that stuff. I mean, you'll not want to say that stuff. If you know it's not true, you'll not want to say that stuff. But this can also stop the forward negative energy coming at you. If it stops their negative energy from hitting you that hard so that you become emotionally upset, if that stops, wow, I mean, you're in a different place. And if they don't get what they want, which is you in a powerless place, they may not do it too often anymore. I mean, they may try, but maybe that'll slow down. This is sort of like when I talked about um, bullying in previous episodes. When I was in high school, I got bullied and they used to call me a name that I didn't like. And so I finally just started accepting the name. Okay, that's who I am. And as soon as I started accepting it, I mean, like the day, because they were doing it for weeks and weeks. 
the day I started accepting that name and responding to it, (laughs) they stopped. Why? Why did they stop? Because it no longer hurt my feelings. That's what happens if something no longer hurts your feelings and the person's goal is to hurt your feelings, it doesn't work for them anymore. If it doesn't work for them anymore, why do it? And I know I'm talking about dysfunctional people. Dysfunctional people are those that want you to feel bad. They don't care if uh, what they do, whatever selfish thing they do hurts you. They're just going along in life, doing whatever they do. And it, um, it can bother other people. It can hurt other people. But that's why it's called dysfunctional and not functional. And toxic people are, you know, they're in that realm too. Toxic people, uh, they're usually more controlling and abusive and hurtful. And they really don't care. That's what makes them toxic. Or they do care, but they just can't help themselves or they can't control themselves. It's another story for another day. But that's what happens is we can be around certain people that make us feel bad without even trying or make us feel bad while they're trying. I mean, a lot of this is their inability to cope, their inability to understand how to communicate with people, an emotionally intelligent way to communicate with people. Their upbringing didn't teach them right. Their uh, parents, their whatever. They have old programming that doesn't work anymore, but they haven't healed or learned what they need to heal in themselves. So they take it out on us. They take it out on you. And they walk around throughout life thinking that it's other people's fault. Why aren't you this way for me? And sometimes there's nothing we can do except what we're doing now and trying to communicate with them, trying to have them back off or telling them that they're being hurtful or toxic. And some people don't respond. Some people will not respond. So we have to do something different. And that's what I like to teach on this show. Let's do something different. Let's stop responding the way we normally respond and see what happens. That's the kind of stuff I'm looking at or talking about today. And so there's that, um, you're right, the agreement part. You're probably right. You may be right. And um, I'll reflect on that. Sure, let's think about that. I'll think about that. And so um, there's that. And so I told you the story about when I was in high school and I was bullied. Um, That squashed their energy and they couldn't really put me down anymore. So it's terrible that I had to finally accept their, um, their insult to me in order for it to stop. And they never called me that name again. It was done. Wow, that's all I had to do was accept it? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But now it does to me because they want you to feel bad. And if you don't feel bad, then they're not going to do it. They don't want to do it. There's, there's no reason to. So there's that. Let's go with the a final thought on this, final suggestion. Actually, I have two suggestions to conclude this. One of them is to connect with them in a loving way. Now, this is hard to do when somebody's trying to insult you, but let's just say that uh, this person insulted the person who wrote me, or half-sibling, said something awful, insulted, bullied, whatever it was, and instead of reacting like you normally might, you say, you know what, you say that and I still love you. And I know it's hard for you to see that. And I know it's hard for you to connect with that, but I really do love you. 
And I really want us to have a relationship. And I know that we haven't. And I'm sorry. I, I wish I could have changed the past. But I, I understand now that uh, there is more that I can do. So you're kind of giving in a little bit, but also giving them something that they may not feel. Because people like this. They push people away. They push people away all the time. And because of that, there's probably not much love in their life. They may not even realize they're doing it to themselves. They just think that the world is crazy and they're the only sane one. But sometimes we have to show love to people like this. And again, this is optional. This is all optional. But there are people that walk around in their insecurities, pushing their anger out on others and trying to feel secure in themselves, trying to get power back because they feel powerless or feel secure because they feel insecure or feel love. And what they do is they push people away and they don't even realize that's not how you get love. It's almost like they're aggressively trying to get your love, but they have no clue how to do it. And I'm not saying that this person is doing that, but I'm saying that some people like this do that. They push people away because they want to experience love, but if they put this wall up, then they'll never experience pain. Like if they put a wall of defensiveness or aggressiveness, then they'll never be close enough to experience love, which they've probably equated with pain at some level in the past. Which is why you can say something like, you know, I hear what you're saying and I still love you. I understand that you feel that way and I still love you. No matter what you say to me, I still love you and I will always love you. You are my sister. I don't care if you're my half-sister. To me, you are my sister. You are my family. And it'll always be that way. So she's either going to rip your head off at that point, proverbially speaking, or she's going to feel differently. Or she's going to ignore you because she doesn't know how to handle the, the emotional aspect of that. That might be difficult for somebody who doesn't want to be vulnerable. So another thing, if somebody doesn't want to be vulnerable, they could be quite the opposite. They could show up quite invulnerable, very powerful, very aggressive like that. So what, what do we do? We can show them that they're still lovable. And how do you, how do you handle that when somebody says they love you no matter what? It feels pretty good when somebody says that to me. No matter what, I still love you. Wow. You do? After I called you that? Yeah. You're my family. I love you. Wow. So that's one of two. The second approach is basically saying, wow, that really hurt. You're sharing that um, what they're doing is effective. So instead of being defensive, instead of telling them to stop, just to express how it feels. Well, that really hurts. I'm so sorry that you feel that way. That really hurts me. And I, I care about our relationship. So that really hurts that you see me that way. And then just express that. Now the other person can certainly continue attacking, continue coming forward at you. But what you're doing is just expressing how it feels. You're not defending yourself. You're just expressing your emotions. And then what that does, it doesn't tell them 
what to do with them. It doesn't tell them what you want them to stop doing or start doing. It just shares what's going on inside of you. It's an emotional place. Sometimes when you're vulnerable with somebody, they feel safe enough to be vulnerable back. Now, that may not happen right away. But every time somebody hurts you or insults you and you say, that makes me feel so bad. That makes me feel so sad. Something like that. This could backfire, I know. But what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable place. And you're not defending, like I said. If you start defending, this is where it might go downhill. But you just express that. The person who wrote her sister might say, well, you should feel bad. And she can respond, I do. I do feel bad. And then maybe walk away and look like you're reflecting on it. What this does is show the other person that uh, you're not here for a fight. You just want to get along. You just want to connect. And maybe you do want to have a loving relationship. But all you're doing is expressing what's going on inside of you and giving them, empowering them with the choice of their next move. They can make a choice to continue insulting you, knowing that they're hurting you. That's another thing is that when they continue their barrage, their attack, whatever, when they continue that, they have to face themselves. They have to tell themselves, it hurts them when I do this and I'm continuing to do it. That is something they have to battle within themselves. Now, she may not respond to this at all. She may not think that this is a problem. And if she sees you feeling bad, she just may not care. And if that's the case, then your only other choice is if she doesn't care and she doesn't respond to any of these things, is to limit your time. You know, limit your exposure to her because it doesn't sound like she is willing to change at all, at least at this time. And if you try to get along, you try to connect with her and nothing works, then there's really nothing you can do. So to the person who wrote, I appreciate you sharing all of this. Again, I don't know if the silent toxicity that you're talking about has to do with your parents not saying anything. I think it does. But um, I think the main issue is how you are going to get along with your sister or not. Your parents don't really have anything to do with it now that you're grown up and maybe you're out of the house or maybe you're not. But if you're not, that's a different set of circumstances. But for the most part, yeah, let's um, figure this out ourselves. Let's work on this in a way that we know that we're not going to get support from other people that matter to us, other people that might be involved. Your parents might be involved in some way, but it sounds like they're not going to do anything different. So we have to accept that they are who they are too. And they're not going to change their perception, change their mind. So all we can do is what we can do for ourselves. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes you have to admit that the only person that can do this is me. So I'm going to have to take care of it. All right. I hope this helps. Thank you again for writing. And thanks for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our patrons this week. Larry, Brad, Mary, Anna, uh, Angel, Ken. Uh, Ken. Oh, Ken, I think you sent a, a donation. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate you. And Crystal and Ashley. And um, a special shout out to Zach. He is a um, yearly contributor. <laughs> I don't even know if you listen anymore, Zach, but uh, I'm very grateful for your support. Thank you, patrons. I appreciate all of you. 
they found value in the show and uh, they decided to give back because they could. If you find this show valuable and you're in a position to give back, head over to moretlb.com and there are options to do that over there. Thank you again, patrons. And for a show on how to navigate the difficult relationship, listen to my other podcast called Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. And if you know you're the difficult one in the relationship, maybe that person's half-sibling is listening, (laughs) join the program that is helping a lot of people heal over at healedbeing.com. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And I'm going to read you a message that um, I received not too long ago, a few days. Paul, I've been a listener and a fan for a few years now. I always enjoy the podcast every week. I decided to listen to one of your newest ones yesterday. Am I wasting time thinking things are going to get better? Is that what I called it? (laughs) Maybe. Well, I took my dogs for a walk. And just as I was getting back home you started talking about the silent treatment and how you used to use it in the past. I wanted to write to you and tell you how much I appreciate you sharing that and what an eye-opening story that was for me. I've been married for uh, two decades and have not had the best relationship, which I take part of the blame for. My wife has been using the silent treatment on me for years and I've been doing exactly what you described. I've been taking responsibility for all the bad stuff happening in the relationship. I've been trying to change what I was doing or try to be the one who took the effort to make up while she waited for me to do it. I could go on and on with the different stories, but just wanted to let you know that your podcast helps people and they've really helped me. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sorry that you've had a very difficult time in your relationship. What this person is talking about is the um, the silent treatment episode I've had uh, probably two or three and also at Love and Abuse. The silent treatment, there's two kinds of silent treatments. Just I'll just mention this really quick. One is when you're processing. Like, oh, what just happened? I got to process this. Give me a second. The other is a manipulation. When you want the other person to feel like you're um, hurt by something they did. And your intent is to make them feel bad. So they try to make up for what they did. It's a silent manipulation. I used to do it. Like this person said, I used to do it in my relationships. I used to be silent because I wouldn't get what I wanted. And yes, I sound like a little baby when I said that because that's, that's what I was. I was a little baby when I was in the silent treatment. It's a very, uh, I don't want to put anyone down, but it's a very immature thing to do. When you're doing the silent treatment with the intent for the other person to feel bad, to feel unloved, to not know where you are inside your head because if they don't know, they'll try extra hard to make you feel better and that's your intent. That's very, very immature and um, it's because, at least for me, it was because I didn't know how else to convey what was going on in my mind. I really wanted to talk about something but I didn't want to upset the other person because I was also a people pleaser. A lot of people pleasers will do the silent treatment. The silent treatment is a way to express that you're upset without expressing that you're upset. Again, this is different from processing something like, what? You did that? Oh my God, I need some time to process this. That's different. The silent treatment that I'm talking about has intent. When I was doing it, um, I didn't even know that I was 
conscious about it, but I knew that it got results that I wanted. And those results were more doting and more attention and more affection. So I was being rewarded for being immature. I was being rewarded for being manipulative. And that's why I kept doing it. I wasn't very smart back then. I'm not very smart now. <laughs> I was definitely not emotionally intelligent. I was definitely uh, not healthy in relationships back then. So I've learned a lot. I've learned that uh, doing the silent treatment is very toxic, very hurtful, because the other person doesn't know where you are. And they will try, I mean, most people that get the silent treatment done to them, they're usually kind and compassionate and caring people. And they'll do everything they can to reconnect with the person in silence because they feel bad, because they think they did that to them. And that's what my previous partners have experienced. And again, if anyone has ever dated me, <laughs> I've ever been with any of you, and I've talked to most of them already, but um, and, and we've gotten past this. But I have been in like that in the past. So if anyone has ever experienced that from me, I'm truly sorry. You did not deserve that. You deserve love and respect and kindness. And I wasn't there for you in those moments. I mean, I was where, I was there for you in other moments. But those moments, I was just a child having a tantrum. And so to the person who wrote, thank you for sharing this. It's a very vulnerable thing to share. And um, you've been through a lot. You are on the other end of it you know, accepting responsibility for what went wrong in the relationship or what happened in that one event or one incident. And when your wife went silent, you did your best to try to reconnect with her. I mean, that's what we do when we're compassionate people, when we're kind, when we love someone, we don't want to see them depressed. We don't want to see them in a down state. So we try to connect and we try to do everything we can to make them feel better. But just make sure that their silence isn't being used as a weapon. And that's a little harsh, but we have to be careful about that. And uh, it's, it's very similar. It's like um, what we were just talking about in the last segment. We were talking about how if you react the same way to what somebody else is doing, then the cycle is complete. They get the results they want. So the person who's doing uh, the emotionally abusive silent treatment is getting what they want when the other person is doting on them and giving them more affection and more attention and it makes them feel better. But that coercion to get that other person to give all that attention to the person in silence, that's what can disintegrate the relationship. That, that drives a wedge in the relationship because what ends up happening, just to wrap this up, is the recipient of the silent treatment grows more and more distant. They start disconnecting because every time they try to connect, they feel that rejection. And the heart can take only so much rejection. So the more silent treatment in a relationship and the more rejection in that relationship, the more likely the relationship will eventually crumble. It will go away. And we're trying to avoid that. We're trying to open our communication. We're trying to express more. We're trying to connect more, both of us or all of us, anyone in the relationship, family, friends, romantic, we're all trying to connect with each other. And uh, some of us are not as good as others. And some of us know how to express ourselves very well. And we just have to do our best. And we keep learning 
how to improve that. At least that's my continuous effort. <laughs> always trying to improve my communication skills, my relationship skills, always trying to connect with the people that I care about and show them that I care and show them that they are definitely lovable and worthy and worth admiring and worth respecting and all of the good things that make people feel good about themselves. And I think that's a very functional way to go. It's a very good direction to take. Thanks for listening. Always keep an open mind. That's how you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Thank you.